0: But let's begin by reading from, well, let's start at verse 10 in Romans chapter 2. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. I need to point out to you in verse 9, it says, Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first. And also of the Gentile, just for those who are and should be interested in messianic ministries, who often point out that the gospel must go to the Jew first, which it already did. But it works both ways. Just want to point that out to you. The judgment of God to the Jew first and also to the church first before it goes to the world. For there is no respect of persons with God. Verse 11. For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. I mean, it's talking about the Mosaic law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Look at verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God. That means, and let me just say it to you in a way that's appropriate and you'll understand it, it's not listening to a sermon that makes you just. It's not the hearers of the law or the hearers of a sermon that are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves. So verse 14 is pointing out what is called the natural law. Every person knows on the planet, without reading a Bible, it's wrong to kill, murder is wrong, stealing, and so forth. The things we read in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. For when the Gentiles, verse 14, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. Now listen. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. This is for everybody, the whole planet. But then in verse 16, it says something. And these are the words that struck me yesterday. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. So the title of this message is very simple. The secrets of men. Obviously, men is generic. It means man or woman. Yeah, this caught my eye when I was reading it. The secrets of men. Those things that no one knows about you, except you. And God. We can put up a good show in front of one another and in front of other people, but they don't know all there is to know about us. And I'm speaking this on the negative side of not knowing everything about us. Uh, just for a minute, let me talk about there's good things as well. Giving, it says, and Jesus said, let not the left hand know what the right hand is doing. So we do some good things in secret that nobody knows but God. So I don't want to leave it just on the negative side. But On that sinful side, there are things about you that only you know. I don't know them. People in the congregation here don't know them. People outside don't know them. Your family don't know them. But you know them. And we learn from reading here in verse 16 that there's a day coming when God will judge the secret things, the things, once again, that no one knows about except you. Now, some of you are old enough to remember the television show that ran from 1952 to 1967 called I've Got a Secret. For those of you not aware of it, and for those of you who need to be reminded what was the show about, there was always someone who was a guest that had something either unusual about them or embarrassing about their life or amazing about their life. And then the panelists before on the panel were celebrities at the time had to ask questions to which there was only a yes or no answer permitted by the guest. And so they had to guess what was this person's secret. It was something amazing, something humiliating, something embarrassing, something great, whatever. It was a secret to them. In Christianity, we have quite a lot of that game being played. I've got a secret. And how often do we think that what nobody knows will never be found out? But let me say this, some of the things that we have read about, particularly about ministers who have you know, fallen deep into sin, let me share with you how God works. When God confronts you on your secret sin, the one that nobody knows about, if you comply in secret, because it's just between you and God, then there'd be no need to bring it out publicly. However, when God is confronting you on your secrecy, on those things that you are entertaining, even in just in thought, of course in action, and it's done repeatedly, I mean the cautions and the uh, exhortation, you're not in compliance with it. Eventually, it will come out into public. Now, this goes with what we do here every Sunday when we have communion, and we have it every Sunday, when we are taught to examine ourselves before the Lord. And it's interesting if you read the verses again, we are told that to take the emblem, the symbol of the Lord's body and of his blood in an unworthy manner, that means your secret sin is still going on. In this respect, you have not complied. I'll explain this to you. You have not complied with Jesus and the Holy Spirit confronting you on it. Then you take communion. This is in the book. The Bible says you're eating and drinking judgment to yourself. Remember this. The first, first message of Jesus Christ was repent and believe the gospel. It was also the message of John the Baptist. Repent and believe. So I remind you again, you're watching, reading someone who just talks a lot about faith. Remember what precedes belief or faith is repentance. And some sins are not even secret. Some professing Christians paraded around and they used this word. Who are you to judge me? Well, I'm not. The Bible is. God is. God wrote the Bible. But for most people, well, for many people at least, what they do, they do it in secret because nobody's seeing and nobody knows. There's two people that know. One is you and the other is God. So when you come to the communion supper, once again, which we have every week, and you know what you're doing is wrong, but you've not been compliant with God in the area of repentance and turning from it. The Bible says you're eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. Listen, and for this reason, the book says this. There's many people sick among you, and some are prematurely dead. Now, remember I shared with you the Latin expression that says, Abusum non toilit usum. Because some have abused the doctrine, and when we come to healing, and they say, well, there's a secret sin in your life, they don't know that. That's just assumed. You're sick because you sinned. That is not always the case. The Bible is comprehensive on a number of subjects. We've got to take the time to go through and see what causes sickness. It's not always sin. But in this instance, the Bible is saying that it is sin when you're knowingly and willingly taking communion. And you know that you're not right with God in word, in thought, in deeds. And that for this reason, you may become sick or may prematurely die. Now, my view, you know, a premature death in the Lord, it's not a good thing. It doesn't mean you're in hell. But you were designed to finish the course, and the course wasn't finished. So whatever specifically that translates to before the Lord, it's not what you want. You want to be able to finish on the day and on the hour that God says, okay, it's finished, and says to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant, well done. So secret sins one day will be judged. We, as Christians, when it's the day, we, it says, we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. At that point, everyone there has an entrance into heaven. That's the good news. But if it wasn't important how we live, how we think, how we behave, the words that we use, we sang that just a few minutes ago in the song service, if it wasn't important, my understanding is that God wouldn't have put it in the Bible. In other words, to appear before Jesus, every sin is washed by the blood. That has to be accepted first. But if there's a willing denial in some areas of our life, and we're in front of the judgment seat of Christ, the loss will be in terms of rewards. So let me give you an example. Those who do good things with the wrong attitude will have no reward for what they've done. This is probably many a saint we have sent in a celebration, you know, home-going funeral service, but all the good they did for the church, and we never knew that there was no reward for anything they did because they did it either out of fear, or they wanted to be noticed, or it was just done without love, true love. So there's a lot to this, and the point will be that we want to keep our hearts pure. Let me hasten to say, and we see this in Solomon's prayer at the temple... There's no one that doesn't sin, and you know that. You know it personally, I know it personally, but here's an application for us, then why aren't we more merciful to each other whose sins we don't know? Think about that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't point, especially as a pastor, I've got to point out what's right and wrong, but don't think that I don't understand my own frailty, because I do. And as again, as a good takeaway and a good point for today, why aren't we more merciful when we speak with each other? about your sins than we are at times and it's not the same as giving license to sin it is understanding listen if you have struggled against sin to truly live as we sang in another song this morning and you really know what it's like to struggle to overcome a sin you're going to be very merciful when you talk to people because you're going to realize this isn't all that easy to do So in other words, let me say this, every sin you've ever committed or ever could commit is washed in the blood. You're washed in the blood. You're going to heaven. You're saved. But there's a process, I named it earlier, of sanctification, where we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord, putting off the things the Holy Spirit is doing, and he's introducing into our lives both blessings, let me use the word cursings, things we like, things we don't like, and all of it is working together for good, To change us into the image and likeness of Christ, which we also sang about this morning. May I be more like you. I don't know what you were thinking when you sang that, but that filled me with a bit of fear when I sang that. May I be more like you. I read the Sermon on the Mount. I'm still far away. Help me, God. Because there's some things that Jesus has said that are difficult, a lot of difficult things to swallow and to say that he expects me to obey him. When I was singing the song, that's what was going through my mind. May I be like you. It's a nice song and it's a nice melody, but when we leave this building and go out those doors to work that out, that's the hard part. That's the hard part. Anyway, the Holy Spirit's working on this and changing us, so you're saved. But then there's a process of God working out of our lives and we don't want to interfere with that process because as I just mentioned, the Bible says that if we do not turn from the very thing God is telling us to turn from, you still make the kingdom Because the book says that the Lord chases us so that we're not condemned with the world. But what you really want, and I saw this a lot today, today's Mother's Day, you know, have a blessed day. Uh, That's what you want every day. You want your day to be blessed. You want your endeavors to be blessed. You want the blessing of the Lord. In order to secure that, let's say on a daily basis, you must be compliant, not perfect. You want to shoot for perfection in the hopes that you reach excellence. Because none of us are perfect. But however, and you know this, some of you have been around quite a while. I've been around quite a while. Some of them just use that as an excuse to keep doing what they're doing. The secrets of men are going to be judged by God. Your secrets, my secrets, all of them. And we who stand before the judgment seat of Christ, those who are not there will stand before the great white throne judgment. The destination after that judgment is the lake of fire. The destination beyond the judgment seat of Christ is heaven. But again, some are misled by thinking that (laughs) who cares if I go in with rewards or not. But I will repeat myself and say that if it were not important, then it would not be in the book, and it's in there twice, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every single one of you, every single one, there'll be no exceptions. I'm no exception. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and all the things written In our life, the words spoken, the deeds done, all recorded. Now, again, I want to thank the Lord that he has washed them all in his blood. And he's paid the penalty. And i got to tell you that it might be hard for you to strike up this balance. Because Satan is so clever. That in a message like this, you might leave here discouraged, so discouraged, that you say, what's the sense of being trying? I'm so imperfect. That's how Satan is so clever to use anything to get you to not simply enjoy the, I want to say presence, but that's a loose term, to enjoy God. If people actually enjoyed God, saw the benefits, there wouldn't be a church building in the whole world that was not overcrowded with people. The truth is that some people just don't see the benefit. They don't understand what it gives. I was just talking to someone this week about that, and I said that serving the Lord in these 46 years There has never been a time, not once, not ever, that I've ever said to myself, you know, it just was better for me back in the world. So I'm going back. Not once. Not ever. Because I know the life I have now is so much more than I ever had before I met Christ. So much more. With that in mind, you want, whether you know it or not, you want to get to the point that you actually enjoy God. Now, you can think of things that you enjoy. But how many people are in a church service somewhere today and saying, boy, I really enjoy God. I love being with him or looking at his nature and so on and so forth. That's what God desires. And that's who God is. Now, what obscures our view of God is the secret sins. Our thinking says, well, there's nothing really wrong with this or whatever you say. And God is saying it is preventing you from seeing me more clearly, understanding more clearly. I want you to think of it this way. Here's two people, and they're on a plane, not an airplane, a plane of earth. They can only see so much. Your eyesight drops off at a certain point. But over here, there's a mountain. And the higher you go up the mountain, the more you can see. The higher you go up, your field of view is increasing. So as you walk in the Lord and walk in the Spirit, as we read, you see more. Like the wise old owl sat on an oak. And the more he saw, the less he spoke. And the less he spoke, the more he heard. So why can't we be like that wise old bird? In any case, those secret sins that don't seem to be a very big deal to you is the very thing that's keeping you from being able to see more of God. Let me go just a little further with this here because I think I need to. So many years ago, we had a service where I exhorted the church. It was called uh, Give God Your Best Sunday. I wanted to encourage people to be careful how they dress, to give their best financial offering. Your songs, it was everything. And there was a woman, a guest, who was in the service that day. It was a story of the prodigal son. I mean, you almost can't go wrong with that Bible story. It was how the Lord gave his best to the son that left him and so on. But this woman, after she heard the message, and it was basically, God gave his best, let's give our best. Doesn't mean our best merits heaven. And she went home that afternoon, and she hung herself. Her husband called me up and told me what had happened. And naturally, I mean, not being a preacher, you wouldn't understand. You always question yourself, what could I possibly have said that would lead her to that conclusion? How am I responsible? But he was quick to let me know that it had nothing to do with me that she was in a bad mental state for many years. But I'm using that as an example. Satan will use anything to get you so that you don't enjoy God. And that we don't enjoy each other. Here's a woman who misinterpreted what I was trying to get across, which was the goodness of God. When it's truly shining in our life, it's, I'll say, reciprocated, but it, probably a better word is reflected. We reflect the goodness of God. We all understand from reading the book and just from life experience that our face reflects what we're thinking about, our attitude, our body language, our posture, The way we stand, the way we sit, the way we talk, well, they're not really secret. People can see them. But I wonder sometimes how many people can see on your face the glory of God. Because this is something that's biblically sound, that God will change your countenance. People who see you will wonder, what happened with you? When I was first born again, remember, I was born again, saved in my bedroom. From a gospel tract that some young girl had given to me. And I read that one. Then I ordered more from the Chick tract company. Read them all. Read the Bible verses. Had never read the Bible before. And said, if you want to receive Christ. And I did. I got on my knees. Did what the, the tract said. I had never met a Christian born again. Never met. Never had anybody share the gospel with me. Never had anybody share a Bible with me. Nothing. It was all done on my own. Well, God did it. I still remember it. There, on my knees, staring out the window. It was a summer day, I don't remember what month. I just prayed to the Lord to come into my life. And while I still had not been to a church, nor heard a preacher, and I was just starting to read the Bible, which was not easy when you don't know precisely where to go, just flipping it open. I remember, in particular, there were people, but there was one woman in particular, a friend of mine, his mother. She was looking at me and she says, did you cut your hair? And I said, no. Did you lose weight? I said, no. And she kept asking these questions. She said, there's something different about you. And I said, and this is where things get interesting. Well, I have Jesus. And at this point, you know, some people start saying, oh, there it is. (laughs) Uh, Either he's one of them, or the poor guy has lost his mind, or whatever. And I said to her, and nobody told me. You got to go out and tell everybody. Because I've been doing that ever since. Why? Because there has been a change on the inside. I'm not against seminars necessarily, but the ones I went to, I'm not going back to. Try this technique, try that technique. Somebody asked me about witnessing, and I share with them that my practice has always been to pray first and just tell God I'm available. And it never fails that he'll run me into a situation where I get to share the gospel. It could be my testimony with scripture verses or Bible prophecy. You see, once you have it, again, this is the intent of this message. Once you are the real deal, people know it. That don't mean they're going to like it, but they know it. They know you're the real deal. And it shows on your face. I received some advice one day, which I already knew it anyway, but it was kind of neat to hear from an older friend of mine. He said, always walk like you're the predator, not the prey. Well, I learned that lesson a long time ago, but it was still good to hear that. When you walk with the Lord, it will literally show in your spine. Now, I believe that. It will show on your face. In this world, which is incredibly dark... You'll still always, and this is what I shared with someone this week, you'll always be able to have that center balance, which is critical when you're actually in a fight. You'll always have that center where you're not off balance. Things will rock you, but you're able to stay on your feet. That's what it means in the scriptures. When we talk about God as our foundation and all of these things, look at everything that we're seeing out there, in my opinion, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. That's my opinion. I don't see how this is going to be magically turned around, except that God directly intervenes, which is what we're praying for. But even with that, even though the first and second great awakening and revivals throughout history didn't change everything in the world. It was still bad things. But you will have the ability to stand, as it says in Ephesians chapter 6, and having done all to stand. The helmet and the shield and the armor and the feet shod and a sword. Never forget, you have a sword. You don't have to go around all day long just taking things, the fiery darts of the wicked. You have a sword. It's the Word of God. It is written. It is written. Beware of the strategies of Satan in that area that I just mentioned. Where you take this message, you run in the wrong direction. If you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're saved. But then we get back to the secret sins. There's where we hold out, or some people hold out. There's where we get into trouble. Even in that, be grateful, as I mentioned already, be grateful that the chastening of the Lord is only given to those He loves. As many as I love, I chasten and rebuke. So if you're being chastened and rebuked by the Lord on any level, thank God, that means you're one of His. Huh, yeah, but it's a lot easier. Whenever I've taught people boxing, I said there's two ways to learn this sport. One is by principle and the other is by pain. I learned a lot by pain. It's not the best way to learn. You want to learn how to do it right the first time so that you're not in a position where you're going to get really tagged and you're going to be in a lot of pain. It's the same thing with the Lord. You want to learn from the principles, apply them, and never know what it would have been like had you not applied them. What about fear? Have you conquered your fears? I sought the Lord and He heard me and He delivered me from all my fears. Believe me, I love people enough to be frustrated for them, or for you, when I can see year after year after year after year after year after year year has gone by and there's still that same... I wouldn't even go to sin. The same old anxiety. Let me just go on a little bit of a rant here. You see what's going on in the world? Well, of course I see what's going on in the world. Same as you. And then, you know, we get into these things, and I do talk politics, and I do talk about what's going on. You know my thing with the weather. Yeah, it's going to rain all week. It's going to rain all week. Who makes the weather? Don't tell me. You don't know. All right, I'll tell you. God. So what you're actually saying is, I don't like what you're doing for this week. I had plans to do this and that. And you know what God's going to say? Well, he may actually change the weather. He did it for Elijah. There's always that outside chance. But God's going to say this. I'm working on a much bigger plan than just what you've got to do in your yard. I'm working on a worldwide plan right now. So, Ashbet. <laughs> so just wait and see sometimes we don't even realize that we're talking so foolishly now I like the weather in a certain way too but I have just learned not to always ask for it to be exactly how I want it every day because God is working on a worldwide plan but to get back to the other how can you live with the same thing that has troubled you for year after year after year after year and not overcome it overcome it Christ has called us to overcome it. What is the problem? Yes. You know when I went to school there was bullies. Lots of them. You know, they had a little surprise coming sometimes when they would pick on me. They didn't expect the beating they were about to get. They didn't expect that someone this size could take on someone that size. That's how I grew up. The bully in the neighborhood is gonna keep if you let him or, or her pick your pocket. Yeah, they're gonna do it every day. So get it over with. Face your fears. Face your insecurities. Overcome them because that's what Jesus said to do. Overcome them. And that includes your depressions and everything else. We all have it. But we are called to be overcomers. Overcomers. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm just not going to do it. But I wonder from this day, how long are you going to let Satan bully you day after day? And keep you someplace locked up, basically. I'm not saying you're not saved. Did you get that in this message? Don't go out and do something foolish like this woman did. The message was clear enough that God gave his best. She turned it around and killed herself. And Satan would have you do the same thing. Turn it around. I'll never be good enough. And that's just self-pity. Christ's blood has covered you from every single sin. You better start there. Now, as we go in the process of sanctification, what I'm advocating here is honesty. Honesty—you got to be honest to say—not perfect yet. You have to get to a place, and this happened with my own wife years ago when she had some issue, and it always came at the wrong time. You know, go out for a little picnic—we weren't married at the time—and then she said one day she was sick and tired of being sick, and just so happened in services an evangelist laid hands on her. She could feel the warmth going through her body, and it disappeared, and it hasn't come back in over 40 years. But I'm thinking that it may have hung on if she had just said, well, you know. And then every time you have a women's fellowship, you talk about this problem. Hey, is there anybody here? Do you have this kind of attitude? Like some people, like they like talking about the same problem over and over again. And no matter how much advice you give them, they still talk about the same problem over and over again. And never seem to have the real desire to say, but I'm going to beat this thing. And then come and have people be able to see like, wow, you're not nervous anymore. You say, Pastor, shouldn't we be nervous? No! Christ is the answer. I can't tell you who to vote for in 2024, but I'd vote for Christ. If I were you. Well, secret sins. They keep you from getting the full benefit of your walk in the Lord. And some people are very good at keeping secrets. But for someone who's up on the mountain a little bit, it's easy to see. There's something holding you back. And you know what it is. Me... Partly because of the way I grew up and partly because of my personality. I'm not going to have a bully meeting me every day, as one did, another one did, at the gate every day. And just literally hit me as hard as he could in the stomach. Big chubby kid. I wasn't fat, he was big. And one day I just made up my mind. Never talked to my parents, never said anything to anybody. Today, I don't take it. I'm not taking it. I went to the schoolyard. I had a little Timex wristwatch, you know, the kind that take a licking and keep on ticking. So there he was, smile- he was smiling. He would smile at me. He was going to give me a punch in the stomach. So I said to my friend Tony, he said, hold this. He said, oh, don't do that. Oh, no, I was mad. I beat him. And guess what didn't happen from that day forward? That was the last time he ever bothered me. But I think I should add one little story here. That's about the Irish. This character, he wasn't Irish. Actually, he was. Maybe Scottish. I had an Irish friend, he was about this big, to me. And he says to me one day, hey, you want to fight, fist fight? I said, no, come on, let's fist fight. I said, I don't want to fight, Jackie. Then he said, well, I'll punch you if you don't. <laughs> so I beat him up. <laughs> when he had enough, he had enough. Next day, we're walking in the same place. Now, you know where the aqueduct is? Well, there's one in Yonkers. And that's the way, actually we weren't walking to my home, we were walking to his, he lived in the projects. Second day, he says, you want to fight? I said, no, I don't want to fight. He's Irish, I'm Irish. He said, come on, let's fight. I said, Jackie, I just beat you up yesterday. What, are you afraid? I said, no, I'm not afraid. I just don't want to fight. (laughs) He kept pushing me. I beat him up again. The third day, he comes back. The next day, you want to fight? I said, what, are you crazy? I said, I beat you up two days in a row. I said, but Jackie, I'm telling you today, if we get into it, I'm throwing you off the aqueduct. Somehow, that got his attention. Well, he was a friend. Satan is no friend. And when he says... Now, i got to really watch what I say here. Let me say it this way. It's better. He's going to come to you probably this afternoon, probably right after this message. And say, you want to take me on? And then you say, in Jesus' name, yes. Amen. Because we don't have a choice. Or no choice. Because he's going to beat you up if you don't. So you have to be able to fight the good fight of faith And don't be mistaken. You're not going to run and you're not going to hide. Satan is a spirit just like Jesus. He knows where you are or at least he can find out. And you're going to have to be able to stand against them. And the only way you can stand against them with 100% confidence is that you've put away your secret sins. Otherwise, there'll always be a doubt whether God's really for you and all this. That's what secret sins do. Now, let me say this. The truth is, is that we all sin after we're saved. But the truth of the grace of God is that we don't sin any longer willfully. The things that we used to do, we are now ashamed of. How many of you would agree with me? You spoke a certain way and now you're ashamed to speak that way and acted a certain way and on and on. And now you may fall into different sins. But you're not proud of that. You're not doing it willfully. The will has acquiesced in the temptation and you fell. And we still have the blood of Christ. You see, because we're not standing in our own power. We're standing in the power of Christ. We're standing in the power of God. But we got to be humble enough to say to God, I know this is wrong. And This is where humility comes in. Help me, God. And he will. Now, pretend that you were tied to a massive rock that you have, let's say, 50 feet of chain. And you you can hear it rattle, but you got some liberty, and you can walk around, you got some liberty. But God says, I want you way over there, and you're agreeable. But you never knew at 51 feet, there's a tremendous pull. And now you know how much that sin has got a grip on you. You'll never know how much the sin has really taken hold of you until you decide to overcome it. When you begin to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit and forgive me, God, and all this that we find in the Bible, look at Ahab. Ahab was the most wicked king. I mean, you'd have to really, really try hard to be more wicked than Ahab. And even when God said he was going to judge Ahab, when Ahab went before the Lord and wept and repented, God told the prophet to go back to him and tell him he was going to have mercy on him, basically. That's God. That's our God. But as you begin to pull away from those things that once held you down, those things that bothered your conscience, as we read here, verse 15, I'm still in Romans chapter 2, which show the work of the Lord written in their hearts and their conscience, conscience, with knowledge. You know when you're doing wrong. And you thought you got to pass because I don't know it, and parents don't know it, and family doesn't know it, your wife don't know it, whatever. But God sees us. Thankfully, and this is the way I watched after my children, and certainly my grandchildren. It's always with an eye for protection. Now you may shout out the window, stop swinging so high. Now, if you grew up in neighborhoods like mine, there was all these mothers and grandmothers on porches, wooden porches, and they'd be yelling from the porch. Where we lived, it was all surrounded by tenements. So everybody's out on the porch. Billy, I said stop that. You know, it was always something that was wrong. What are you doing? Stop that. And you did. God is always watching for our good. When God says turn from something, He doesn't gain anything. He's God. You gain. But you will never know what you've lost if you continue to hold on to that secret sin. When I was a youth pastor, and this has happened to me on several occasions, sometimes I wonder why people don't talk to me. I like to talk to everybody. Then I forget secret sins. I remember a couple of young guys who were very faithful to the meetings when we used to have them on Friday nights years ago when I was a youth pastor. Well, they stopped showing up. So I would ask their friends who brought them, what happened to so-and-so and -and -and so-and-so? I don't know. I remember walking down the street. Now, this is to show you the power of God and the transformation that God makes. To this day, I don't try to present myself as some mythical holy being who's came down for a few hours to be with you. Then I ascend back up. I'm just a blue-collar pastor, a regular guy who happens to be a pastor. That's the truth. That's what I tell people. Just a regular guy that happens to be a pastor. So I don't see myself as being above you is what I mean. And so I asked about these two guys and I hear come walking down the street. I'm still very young. I mean, I'm in my 20s. Big change had taken place in my life. Lots of people had heard about it. (laughs) And here's these two tough guys who stopped showing up at the meetings and I knew they saw me. They're on the other side of the street and they ducked behind a car. (laughs) I'm thinking to myself, are they for real? Ducking behind a car? I mean, if you don't want to come to church, just tell me. You don't want to come. So I went on the other side of the street. And I'm telling you the truth. They snuck. You could, if I was a cop, I could have looked under the... You could see their little feet. <laughs> hiding from... What are you hiding from me from? Just, you don't want to come, you don't want to come. Don't mean I won't pray for you, but, you know. It's just like Adam. Adam had fellowship with God. And then one day, he sinned, and Eve, of course... And God comes down to fellowship with them, And he says, Adam, where are you? And what did Adam say? I'm hiding. So why are you hiding? Because God knows. Why are you hiding? Now, we could use this as an example of a secret sin. Of course, the magnitude of it has reached us to this very day. But he said, I'm naked, which I'm not sure why that was a big deal. But I'm naked. And God said, who told you you were naked? Conscience, knowledge, good and evil came into his mind. By the way, God wants you to learn what's good, does not want you to learn evil. What? He said, I'm hiding. And God said, why are you hiding? He said, I'm naked. And he said, who told you? Did you eat of the fruit of the tree? And this is the part that we all love, especially on Mother's Day. <laughs> it was her. She was like, hey, it was a snake. And God said, come here, all of you, three come here. Cursed the snake, cursed Eve, cursed Adam. We've all been cursed until we came to the cross where Jesus became a curse for us that we might become the righteousness of god in christ jesus (laughs) oh it's the same old story adam who told you you were naked did you eat the fruit of the tree she did it she gave it to me was me was the snake and satan was probably the only one who just grinned and said (laughs) see satan knows the truth i want to remind you of something i said last week i'll say it now If you truly believe in Jesus, he really existed, exists now, that he's alive and all that. By default, you must believe in the reality of Satan. Now, God does not tempt us to evil, but Satan does. He's not omniscient, but he studies us. This is what I believe. He studies us. He finds out what things we go for. It could be anything. Something as simple as a compliment to get me. I'm not so much in need of a compliment. I'm just saying. You know, I got to preach a message to you to make sure there's nothing that I can say that's gonna make you offended, and I'm looking for that pat on the back. Now I appreciate the encouragement you give me, believe me, and I need it, and even more so I need the prayers and my family too. But let's say that was a temptation of mine. You know, you'd never hear a sermon here ever that offended you. You know, this is my Bible. You know, like, yeah, I am what is it says I am. No way you're getting out here. But I don't set out to offend you, either. So whatever it is you go for, Satan will try to reel you in with that. Boy, I tell you, these are the things that, again, they obscure our view of the goodness of God. Listen, if you will put away, not just the secret sins, but if you will put away those things that God said, overcome it! Overcome it! And when I teach on anxiety and depression, you know, I get feedback from people who are really suffering. But they know they're in a trap because their situation is very bad. They know they're in a trap. So they come and watch the channel, the few that do, for help. And they want to overcome. And so I get feedback. One woman couldn't leave her house. Hadn't left for years. In my ministry, I'm talking about not a story from a book. There's those people too. So today I went down to the mailbox for the first time in how many years? 15 years? That was a big thing. For you, that's nothing. For a woman locked in her house for 15 years. That's a big deal. How? By the blood of the lamb. And the word of their testimony. Because I don't offer them anything on the channel. Except this book and what it says. And you and I are expected to overcome. We are not expected to be kowtowing. And shitty bag, It's going to end. Of course it's going to end. That's what we want. We want the world to end. Because that means that when it does. Christ has arrived. The governor of the universe, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. Yes. 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 Sometimes we have to think about what are we really living for. General Wellington, Duke of Wellington, he's most famous for his defeat of Napoleon. And during his lifetime, because of his stature, his position, he was going to be given some parcels, large parcels, of land in India. So one man who got very curious and probably for the wrong reasons went to Wellington to see just what was going to be given to him, how much of this land was going to be given to him. And so he started to ask and inquire about it and Wellington said to him, can you keep a secret? He said, oh yeah. He says, well, Wellington said, so can I. <laughs> I bring that up for this. Do not air your dirty laundry to just anybody. Don't put it on Facebook for Pete's sake. If you put it on Facebook, I'm telling you, I'm going to personally take you to a psychologist and have your IQ tested. I mean it. Well, I don't really mean it, but don't put it on Facebook and be careful who you talk to. First, you go to God. And then it's a good thing to have someone that you can actually trust. Let me give you some advice. If, and I'm going to confess to you that I've actually used this tactic myself, if I wanted something to go out all throughout the community, I knew who to talk to. That's true. That's just one of my little tactics. You hear everybody's been talking? I say, really, yeah? Because I knew who to tell that would tell everybody else. Because I wanted them to know. In any case, you find someone that you can really trust. Now, you don't want to be like this man here that's always probing the probing. There's a lot of people that are always probing. They want to find out what's wrong with you. They're not as interested in finding out what's wrong with them. That's why a lot of people don't sit here today. They were more interested in talking at their little coffee clutches about your sin than their own. But you want to find someone that you can trust and bear your soul to. Because as the old saying goes, confession is good for the soul. And admitting that you have weaknesses is a sign not only of humility, but is a sign of honesty. I've often told people the many things that I've learned in my lifetime, and some I've become good at, I learned by just asking a lot of questions and reading books. And I'm not ashamed to go to someone who's half my age or less and ask them a question. Like, Why do you do that? And how come? Because they obviously know something I don't know by the way they perform what they're doing. Or the older persons or whoever. You want to be able to, number one, or you must, number one, don't tell everybody. Because that is not good. It's another tactic of Satan. On that line, let me just say this. If you want everybody to know your business, then ask a person, Hey, can I tell you something? And you promise you won't tell anybody? It's an absolute guarantee. You've done it, I've done it. Hey, can I tell you something, but don't tell anybody? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then within a week and two, the whole town knows, it's on the front page. But there are people that are trustworthy, that will not tell. G. Gordon Liddy, he had one thing going for him that I admired, he would not testify, he would not throw people under the bus. You read his book called Will, hold his hand over a flame, over a candle and not move it. They asked him what the secret is. He says, you have to learn not to care. I'm not suggesting you hold your hand over a candle. (laughs) But I am saying that there are people who are closed mouth and will not share your secret with another. And that confession is good for the soul. In any case, you don't want anything in your life to obscure your view of God, especially in this time now. You want to be able to see God so clearly that you are, as I mentioned earlier, secure. That you are in a position where even with all of this, and this is prophecy being fulfilled. This is God who was in tomorrow, telling us thousands of years ago, this is how it's going to play out. And you can read it. I don't like it. Again, if God said to me tonight, can you rewrite my Bible? I said, sure, absolutely. This whole thing would be different. But it didn't. But God was kind enough to say, this is how it's going to play out. And don't you fear what other people fear. Why? Why? Because the number one fear in your life, which means a profound reverence and awe, is the fear of the Lord. When you have that, you do not share in the same anxieties that other people because God has told us this is how it's going to go. And we see it. Secrets of men. One day they will not be secrets any longer. For me, I'd rather get it clean with God now so that when I stand before him, he doesn't have to look into my eyes and ask me, why didn't I say about this or about that? You want to get to a place that that thing that you were so proud of even this year or a year ago, now you're ashamed of it and so on. Henry David Thoreau, one of the original environmentalists, naturalists, uh, you know, preserved the land, which we should be for that. And he's admired by many, many people from the 19th century to this very day. But what some people don't know is that when he wrote his book, Walden, living in the woods, survival and all this, he was only a couple of miles from his house. And he used to go down into the town and he'd have the people cooking him up some meals and then take it back. And while he was there, dump all his dirty laundry off to his mother. So I thought that was good for Mother's Day. I'm surviving. I'm a survivalist. Hey, mom, do my laundry and give me some food. So it's a little bit of a contradiction. Uh, so why I'm saying that is that that's not what you want to be. Be the real deal. If you're going to go in the woods and survive, then go in the woods and survive. Don't give your mother your dirty laundry. Mm-hmm. Father, we come before you this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Help us, every single one of us, to be the real deal. We'll never be perfect. We'll be flawed. That's why we have in the book to be tender-hearted, forgiving, and caring, and all that, because every single one of us has you know, issues. But as you sanctify us day by day, month by month, year by year, the issues become less and less. Because you have ordained that we should be fashioned into your likeness. And we sang it earlier. Help us to be compliant. Help us to stop wrestling on the cross. The quicker that we could just stay still and be nailed, uh, the quicker we get through this issue. Help us to be compliant and get rid of the secret sins. Including the attitudes that we hold on to that we felt so right about. Give us the humility by your grace to come before you and confess our sins. Because it says that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So church today, while you're sitting here before me, I'm wondering how many of you have some secret thing that you need to get straight with God. And I'm sure it's many of you. I mean, you need to come clean. You need to go before God and say, this has got me. It's got the best of me, God. Give me the strength to overcome it. And he will. But you pull and pull against that massive stone until it moves and you just go. God breaks the chains. Put that secret sin before the Lord this morning. Take out a knife, an imaginary knife, and make it a sacrifice. Put your knife right through it. And say, now I am dead to this. Romans 6. I am dead to these thoughts, deeds. I'm dead to the hypocrisy. I'm dead to the fear of man. And so on. Whatever it may be. Then the devil cannot torment you. And you're going to feel the peace of Christ flowing through you. You'll be able to say, I'm free. I'm truly free. So, Lord, we take our secret sins and put them before you. You already know about them. But you wait on us to confess them and to admit they're just not right. They're wrong. Bringing a chastening in our life and a discipline that we don't have to have. So, Lord, we come before you in Jesus' mighty name and thank you that you will give us grace and you will aid us in all the areas that we need to be conformed to your image and likeness. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. And Lord, I pray that we can all, from here to eternity, however long or short that trip is going to be, can enjoy you in every area, starting with the gospel, reaching out right to the very Adirondacks and mountains and streams, the birds, the sunshine, even the rain, and the snow praises you according to your word. Help us to be in compliance with these things. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. We give you the honor today. Once again, we thank you for the moms. I thank you for my mother, still alive. And ask you to take the burdens that they carry that you've not given them off their shoulders. I ask you, God, today to bless our mothers and the mothers here in the church and so on. Let it be a truly happy Mother's Day because we have Christ in Jesus. And we give you all the praise for this and all the glory. Help us this week, God, to love you with all of the heart, all of the soul. All of the mind and all of the strength. And remind us to love one another as well. And we give you the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Can you say amen this morning? Amen. Amen. Amen.